This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, June 7, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. The National Security Agency has been seizing phone records of Americans, has been harvesting all manner of Internet communications from major Internet providers, and now has a vast trove of Americans' credit card transactions as well, all revealed essentially the same day. Jim Harper, Director of Information Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, discusses the revelations. General Keith Alexander, about a year ago at the American Enterprise Institute, said that a specific Utah State Data Center would not be holding Americans' data. That was the short answer he gave. And with this new revelation, how does that, how does that stack up? It's hard to square General Alexander's flat statement that the NSA does not have information on Americans with statements we've heard in the last days from members of Congress defending this program uh, for what it's done with Americans' personal information. So I think we need to know more as a public. We need to demand more of our Congress to understand exactly what's happening here. And probably the starting point is to stop with the secret courts administering secret law. Now, Diane Feinstein has been a big defender uh, of this program. Is, is there any reason for her to change her mind at this point? She seems, she's known this information presumably for some time. Well, we don't know what Senator Feinstein knows. She's quite fond of standing on a dais, assuring us that these programs are appropriate and that they work. But that's really not good enough. I think it's time for Dianne Feinstein, Mike Rogers in the House, to come forward and show us how these programs work, demand of the agencies to show us how, they, how these programs work. Because I can't conceive of all Americans' phone records cost-effectively contributing to security in this country. Uh, that's, it's essentially impossible, but maybe there's a theory where it is, and I'd like to know it. Now, you and I had spoke earlier about Marilyn V. King, that this was a sort of a transition from investigating crimes uh, or investigating people likely to commit crimes that we know are likely to commit crimes to investigating people broadly to find out whether they've engaged in illegal activity. Is, that, is this something like that? Take every good faith promise made by the, uh, the DNI, the Director of National Intelligence, about the security systems they have in place with this program. They've got a whole bunch of data about us. They've got all these security systems in place. Now fast forward 10 years, and someone else is in charge of the National Security Agency, and someone else is president. And they say, we need to know something about that guy. Well, with all that data at rest in the National Security Agency's databases, they can go and look at that guy. We've got experience right now with the Internal Revenue Service's Tax-Exempt Bureau, Tax-Exempt Organizations Bureau, investigating people more, more aggressively simply because of their political views. Uh, we have experience with it. It's because of lacking oversight, and oversight is even worse in the national security bureaucracy. Congress has to take most of the blame here. The debate that occurred in December 2012 about spying authorities uh, authorized by the FISA court was at best a little while at the last minute after Congress had promised extensive debate on this. The reauthorization bill that allowed these powers to continue was introduced in the middle of the year in 2012. The House passed it fairly promptly in September. It wasn't until the end of December with the authorities about to expire that the Senate finally took it up. And the major argument in favor of passing the bill was not anything on the merits. It was that these powers are going to expire very soon. Having created an emergency situation, Senator Dianne Feinstein and the majority leader in the Senate, uh, Harry Reid, got this bill passed basically by 
uh, buffaloing the American people, scheduling a debate in the lazy time between Christmas and New Year's. You've been very critical of the third party doctrine, the idea that you lose some proprietary interest in information when it goes to a third party. This was a doctrine that was created a very long time ago, well before the internet age. To what extent is the NSA uh, and other agencies, to what extent are they relying on the third party doctrine? The third party doctrine is a rule of, uh, of construction that the Supreme Court created in the, in the early 1970s based on the Bank Secrecy Act saying that you don't have a Fourth Amendment interest in the information you share with others. Now that was a bad rule at the outset. Uh, it gets worse with the passing of time as more and more of our personal information travels through third parties, in internet service providers, financial service providers online, and so on and so forth. Right now, the Supreme Court is beginning to show signs of reconsidering it. In U.S. versus Jones, the GPS case decided in the last year, Justice Sotomayor wrote that we might reconsider the third party doctrine. But meanwhile, a separate system of quasi-law that the Congress created, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, apparently has come up with uh, an interpretation of the third party doctrine uh, so vast that it allows the government to collect all of our phone calling information, who we dialed, how long our conversations lasted, and what time, uh, in a massive database without impacting the Fourth Amendment, um, that's impossible. What that court has come up with is a general warrant, and the Fourth Amendment was written to bar those warrants from ever happening. Now, uh, one of the specific references in this uh, leaked uh, court order is to telephony metadata. What does that mean? Metadata is a, a, a technical sounding term, but what it really means is information about your call. It's not the substance of the call itself, it's not exactly what you said, but it can be very revealing information. If you're calling your teenage son or daughter at odd hours and having long congress conversations, that tells people a lot about your family life. Calling information can reveal who your intimate relations are with, who your illicit relations are, are with. Are you calling a psychologist or psychiatrist late at night, early in the morning, many times per day? All these things are revealing of your relationships. They don't have the substance of the conversation, but they're information about you that's just as important to protect as the substance of those conversations. Just hours after the revelation about the National Security Agency uh, harvesting essentially as this data of Verizon customers, we learned that for years, the NSA has had a program with trusted providers, that is, giant uh, tech firms, to provide them with all sorts of information. Indeed, the PRISM program is part of a drip, drip, drip that seems to be coming out now that the NSA logjam is broken. Uh, this is a program that allows NSA agents to access information from the major providers, Microsoft, Google, YouTube, Apple, and others, with Twitter being a notable exception. President Obama, during the week that these revelations came out, was fundraising out in, out in the, the Silicon Valley area. One has to wonder if he was thanking the people who paid $32,000 a plate, not only for their money, but for their contribution to national surveillance. Jim Harper is Director of Information Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.